Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Now, we haven't met yet. My name is Justin. I'm the next-gen pastor here. As you can tell, I love Christmas. I love kids. And, and we've been talking through this series called Blood and Thunder. And some of you, if you're brand new or you're coming back to church, you haven't been in for a few months, and it's December, so you're like, man, we got to go to church now. Or someone brought you here with them uh, because it's Thanksgiving weekend or more importantly, rivalry weekend, right? Uh, some of you, it's like you feel sick not from the food because how your team played yesterday, but we won't get into that because this is a church and we don't want to have fights. Uh, but our, our lead pastor, Bryant, was going through and starting the series Blood and Thunder several weeks ago uh, where we talked about really the, the, the idea that the blood is the sacrifice. Now, blood is kind of gross, and you think, like, what are you talking about blood in church? Simply what we're talking about is blood symbolizes a sacrifice, and, and Scripture refers to us as believers as living sacrifices. And to see a work of God, to see a move of God, we need to have blood and thunder. We need to have sacrifice. But the thunder, the thunder is God coming and God giving us the power. See, and sometimes, like, we're willing and we want to sacrifice, and it doesn't seem like there's any power. And other times, like, God's power is there and ready and waiting, but we're not willing to sacrifice Right, and as we close today this series, uh, what I want to just uh, ask you the question is, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand. If you want to, you totally can. Again, participation is way more fun. So if you talk back, if you clap, if you cheer, you do whatever you want, it's going to be a good time in church for you and for me. But here's the deal. How many of you have ever sacrificed and done something you believe God wanted you to do or wanted you to do, and you feel like nothing actually happened? Anybody ever been there? Like, you're like, hey, maybe it's in your marriage. You're like, I think God wants me to do this thing with my spouse, and I do that thing, and, like, there's no reaction. Or, like, you're at work, and you do something kind for a coworker, You buy someone's lunch, or you don't do something. You're like, there, I feel like there's, no, like there's no power. I feel like there's no reaction. There's no result. There's no consequence for what I did. And it, it kind of stinks, doesn't it? Because what it means sometimes is we act and we sacrifice, we do things, and we step out in faith. But then sometimes, if we're honest about this, we got to wait on the power. And the difficult thing is we are horrible at waiting, aren't we? Like some of you, you're, you know, through this season, your kids are sick or you're sick. you got to go to the doctor or the hospital. you got to sit in the waiting room. And how long does it take in the waiting room? You're like, man, I, you know, my kids are getting coughed on by other kids and trying to keep my kid off the floor from licking the toilet seat. All sorts of crazy things that happen. If you got kids, you've been there, you know it's true. And you're waiting, you're like, how long am I going to have to wait here? Or some of you, you've traveled, maybe you came down or you've gone up and you're visiting people on the holidays. And you're like, man, like I have to wait in the airport. i got to wait in the car. i got to wait everywhere I'm at. Or... Some of us, unfortunately, we were lied to on Thanksgiving. We were told that lunch would start at 2 o'clock. And you showed up at 2 o'clock ready to eat. You ate an apple early in the morning to charge your stomach and get things going so that way you could eat all the food in the world. And then you show up at 2 o'clock and you're waiting. And it's 2 o'clock and there's no food. And you wait up until 2.30 and you wait and you watch. Now, don't look at anybody because, again, this is a safe place. But you didn't eat till like 3.30. You had to wait for the longest hour and a half of your life because you've been waiting. And, again, we are horrible at waiting. And we don't like waiting. 
And what happens when we wait is, is honestly, generally, we either become one of two things. We either get cranky or we get creative. Like, we get cranky in the sense of, like, we just get mean and angry. Some of you, that's why you have alcohol on Thanksgiving. Like, because you're getting cranky. We've all been in the grocery store where everybody's waiting in line, and it's the person in front of you or the person behind you is just, like, really angry. And you just kind of want to look at them like, dude, like, really, everyone's waiting in line right now. Like, I don't know what makes you special. Why you get to be a jerk to everybody around you. Like, some of y'all get cranky when you have to wait. But also, sometimes we get creative. And that's where we get to make up the family games where you're waiting on Thanksgiving dinner. You're like, okay, what can we do? I don't know. All right, you get this thing. You get that. We got an orange. We got two baskets. And we're going to make this game where we roll the orange back and forth on the floor and try to catch it in the basket. Because you're bored. You got to figure out how to do things. Generally, this happens with guys. It can be really dangerous. Especially if you have alcohol at Thanksgiving for your family. Because you're like, man, we're getting bored. we got to figure out things. And this is the problem. If we're really honest about this, this is one of the difficult things about waiting. Is because when we start waiting, what we can do is start questioning if the person that we're waiting on really cares about us. Right? In any of those situations, you're waiting for someone to come out. And, and you start to tell yourself things like, man, obviously they don't care. Like, obviously, they're not interested, in, and they don't value me. Obviously, like, I need to step in and do something. And, and the thing is, if you look through the scriptures, and, and I hope you would look through the scriptures, you see people on a regular basis who are willing to sacrifice, willing to do something, and God basically tells them, sometimes he doesn't tell them through uh, words, but he tells them through what he does with them, is you just need to wait. And the dangerous thing is, a lot of those people, they got creative when they were waiting, and they started to try to step in. While they were waiting for God to do a work, they decided that they need to be the ones to be responsible to do the work. And you look all the way back at the very beginning, you see this guy named Abraham. And, and, and Abraham and his wife were promised that they were going to have a baby. But they were like 90 years old. And they were like, we've never had kids. We can't have kids. We really want to have a baby. And God promised them to have a baby. And there was no baby. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then Sarah gets creative and says, well, I have Hagar, this woman that works for me, this servant of mine. Abraham, you sleep with her. That will give us a son. And we're still living with the effects of that decision because he did sleep with her and she did have a son, but that wasn't the promised son that God chose to give them. Later they did have a son, but when they get creative in the waiting, things can get disastrous. Or if you even look hundreds of years after that, there's this guy Moses uh, who was in charge of leading all of Israel out of their Egyptian captivity. And, and you can look this stuff up. Like, I don't believe this stuff uh, just because it's in the Bible. I believe it because you can actually look up, like, historical accounts of this stuff. You can see the people of Israel left Egypt in a very strange manner. You can read all about that outside of just the biblical source. But Moses is with these people. He's leading these people out, and he goes up on this mountain, Right? And he's up there talking to God, and there's lightning and thunder and all this stuff happening on the top of the mountain. And, and Moses has this incredible experience, but on the bottom of the mountain, people are waiting. And they're waiting, and they're waiting. And then pretty soon, they go around to Moses' brother, a guy named Aaron, who is supposed to be one of the spiritual leaders, and said, Moses, we, or Aaron, we want to worship something, so let's get all our gold together, and we're going to melt it down. We're going to make a golden image. We're going to make a golden calf, and we're going to worship that. Even though they're at the very mountain where if they looked up, they would see thunder and lightning and the power of God. They couldn't wait for it. And again, it ends badly for them. And even this guy, this guy named Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest friends, he's constantly going around with Jesus and constantly pushing the envelope like, Jesus, let's do something, let's do something, let's do something. Jesus, like, we have the revolution. Jesus, we need to act. We need to do something right now. And it even comes to kind of this crescendo where Jesus is arrested, and Peter pulls out a sword and tries to slice off this guy's head and miss and slice off this dude's ear. And, and Peter 
tells, like, Peter's like, okay, I'm a bad shot. Okay, whatever. And Jesus is like, Peter, put your sword away. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. Even at one point, Jesus tells Peter, like, you're acting like Satan. Get behind me. And what can happen a lot of times is when we are waiting for God to move, we either think that we need to move away from God or we need to move in the place of God. But a move of God, God doing something spectacular through your life, never begins with us moving away from God. And some of you, even today, you're tempted to think, like, I need to take things and take this situation into my own hands and start doing my own thing. I'm going to tell you, like, you're getting creative, and it probably is not going to end up as good as it would as if you depended on God and waited for him. Because waiting really helps us understand our reliance and dependence on someone. Right? And you got to wait on God. And, and we're going to look through uh, the early church. They had to wait on God to show up to do a powerful work through them. And what happened, kind of the, the story, if you will, uh, this guy named Luke uh, wrote one of the, the narratives of Jesus' life. You've probably seen uh, somewhere, it doesn't matter, like your church background, you've probably seen like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Luke wrote an account on the life of Jesus, and that was part one of his account of uh, the movement of Jesus. It's kind of like one, part one is Jesus, and then part two he wrote uh, to his friends saying, hey, this is like the Acts of the church. And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then there's a book called Acts, which is just Luke recording what happened in the early church. And it sets up like this where Jesus uh, is, is arrested, he's crucified, he's resurrected three days later from the dead, which that's the whole point of Christianity is Jesus coming back from the dead. And then what happens is Jesus goes around for about 40, 45 days, something like that, and is with people and talking with them and spending time with them, all these hundreds of eyewitnesses. And what I tell you, and we're going to talk about this a lot, we talk about this a lot at Center Point, is uh, our faith is not in the Bible, I know for some of you that feels really weird to say our faith is not in the Bible at church, but, but here's the deal. Our faith is not in a book. It's in an event in history that shows that the book is true. Because if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, I don't care what you have written down in a book. If someone didn't die and resurrect from the dead, the book isn't as important as that. Right? And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it's not saying the, the book isn't important. Like the Bible, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired, and, and useful for all the, like, like you can go through, like I'm not saying the Bible is not important. I'm saying the resurrection is more important. And that's where Jesus, actually, you see the life of Jesus. He affirms everything in the scriptures. So this is where, where Luke is saying, okay, this is what happened in the early church. This is all that happened. Even Paul, one of the guys who wrote the Bible, even said, if Jesus isn't rising from the dead, everything is worthless. And he's like a guy who started churches all over the place. He wrote parts of the Bible. So Jesus, coming back, from the, back to life, seen, being seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses, people all over the place are seeing him, and then he's going to leave, and he's going to go back up to heaven and wait, and he's going to send something. This is kind of the scene of the early church. This is what's happening. We're going to look at the early church and see the movement of God, even in the midst of waiting for God to move. All right, this is Acts chapter 1. This is Luke's account. He says, on one occasion, uh, on one occasion while they were eating with them, well, he was eating with them, uh, which is interesting. Some people believe Jesus didn't bodily resurrect from the dead. They think he was just a spirit, but spirits don't eat. So he ate with them. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. That's important. We'll talk about that. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speaking about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he tells him a gift is coming. Doesn't tell him what the gift is. He said, you're going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. But a gift is coming, so just wait and be ready. In a few days, Jesus goes, whoop, up to heaven. They go back in Jerusalem, and they just start waiting. 
And they say a few days. Now, some of us, if you're like me, you're thinking a few days, like a couple is two, a few is like three or four, so like probably four days at the most, like this is going to happen. And they go to bed that day, they wake up, look around, hey, anybody else get a gift? No, anyone feel different? No, anyone? Check, the, check outside of Amazon, drop anything off. No, nothing's outside. Like, we're just waiting for this. And they do that again. They go to bed, get up. Is anything different? No, okay, hey, we, we need to get some food. Let's go get some food to come back. Is anything different? No, nothing's different. And they do this for days and days, and those turn into weeks. They turn into weeks. And then about 40 days later, they're all gathered up in a room, and they're praying. And they've been waiting and waiting, and this is the thing that's crazy. If you, if you read this, and again, if you're investigating faith, we talk about this all the time. You're so welcome here. Like, this should be the best place for you to investigate faith. Questions should be offered, and, and answers should be sought out. And this is where all of us, honestly, we all have questions. If you don't have questions, like, that's kind of scary for me. But here's the deal. If you're investigating faith, something for you to think through is Jesus commanded them to stay in Jerusalem. And he said the, the power is going to come to Jerusalem. The reason that is important is because Jerusalem was the city Jesus was crucified in. And Jesus was laid to rest. Jesus was buried in a grave in Jerusalem. So then these people come and they start claiming this message that their leader, Jesus, resurrected from the dead. If someone wanted to disprove them, they just would go out to the graveyard, pull up a dead body and say, this is Jesus, you all are lying. And the movement would be done. It would have been a whole lot easier for them to go, hey, go a couple hundred miles away, maybe a couple thousand miles away. We're going to start this group, this commune. We're going to start this teaching around this guy named Jesus. And everyone's going to believe this because there's no way they can authenticate our message. And this is where, again, if you're investigating faith, you're trying to figure things out, I would encourage you, really investigate it. Really investigate the resurrection. Because the fact that the movement began in the same city that Jesus was crucified is massively important and massively profound. So they're sitting there, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. And then Acts chapter 2, it says, Now the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It means they're speaking in different languages they did not know before. And that's a little different, probably. That's something you've experienced. Because I haven't been around where fire comes out of heaven and rests on people's heads and we all start speaking different languages. And what I'd say, two things real quick about this is some of you, you're like, see, this is exactly why I don't believe what you guys are talking about. Because you, are, you guys believe crazy things. And let me just say, this is crazy. Isn't it crazy? Like something like this happened, like that's like, okay, this is different. Some of us would be like, that's weird. And this is, again, where I'd say, if you're investigating faith and miracles hang you up, what I'd say is you've got to investigate the number one miracle, the resurrection of Jesus. It all goes back to him. But the second thing I'd say real quick about this is, for some of us, we've, we've heard about tongues, we've experienced tongues in church, and this is what I'd say real quick is, tongues is a useful to authenticate the messenger of God. That's where you see, if you read through the New Testament, it's used to authenticate the messenger, because they didn't have resumes, they didn't have Google, they didn't have Yelp, they didn't have things that go, okay, are you actually who you say you are? No, the way that they could prove that they were who they said they were is that they had power, and in particular, even at times, power to speak languages they had no idea how to speak. You can see even through this, they, like the power of God shows up and people from all over, they start gathering around. There's crowds are coming up and then like, it's happening. And, and Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, has looked around and he's seeing this crowd gather up. Thousands of people coming in. He's like, oh man, like someone needs to say something. And all these people are doing things. And, and Peter then in himself steps up and says, I will be the blood. I will be the sacrifice. I will be the spokesperson of God. 
which again is massively important because just a few weeks before, Peter ran away when asked by a child if he even knew Jesus. And now he's going to stand up in the city where Jesus was murdered in front of thousands of people and proclaim the Jesus who he ran from knowing before. And this is what Peter says as he stood up. And this is Acts chapter 2. What I'm going to tell you is we're going to highlight some verses as we go through this. And what I would tell you is you need to read this for yourself. Okay, read the whole thing. Even like if you're trying to figure out what the, what the early church did, check it out. Read it for yourself. I'm going to highlight some things that Peter said. This is what he did. He stood up with the 11. This is the, the followers of Jesus, the leaders of the church. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, it's funny. He didn't say they're not drunk because we don't drink alcohol. He said, no, it's just too early for us to be drunk. Like, day drinking is frowned upon even back then. Like, if it was nine o'clock at night, different story. These guys are not drunk as you think. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel was one of the spokesmen of God thousands of years before this. This is where all of Scripture points to one person coming to save all of humanity, and that's Jesus. So all these prophets in the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus. And he goes on, he says a little bit later, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, again, the power showed up through authenticating Jesus' claims, through Jesus doing things like healing people and walking on water and feeding people with just a little bit of food. The authenticity was seen in the power showing up. They said, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. See, Jesus dying the way he died was not a change in plans. It was the plan. And, and Jesus, even at a time where he seemed powerless, he seemed like everything's going wrong, like that was the plan that God had for him. And I think even for some of us, when we are waiting on God to show up, we think that we are outside of God's plan when actually that's the plan. Like God wants you to wait. Now, I don't know why God wants you to wait. I don't know why God wants me to wait. I don't like waiting. You don't like waiting. But there are reasons why God has us wait, and it's part of the plan. And then he goes on and says, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, saying he's the boss, he's the promised one, he's the restorer of all humanity to God. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like they hear this message that the Jesus that they chanted for to be crucified and wanted to see him die, that Jesus was actually the Messiah, and they didn't realize it until this moment. And Peter goes on and he just tells them real quickly, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. See, what's crazy is, is Peter was simply the sacrifice. Peter was simply the spokesperson, the mouthpiece of God, saying, hey, I will be willing to share the message that you have me to share right now. But he couldn't penetrate people's hearts. Like he needed the power of God to show up to penetrate people's hearts. And this is also the thing. If you look at the, the message Peter sh shared, is all about Jesus because Jesus is the message. He's not simply a messenger. We believe that Jesus is is God that he came to restore all of humanity back to himself through his willing sacrifice. And this is the thing, if you look at Peter's life, even Peter's interaction with Jesus, I don't think this is the message Peter would have shared months before this or even a few years before this. 
Because Peter was all about, like, the revolution right now. Like, if you look through Peter's life, that's why Jesus even told him, Peter, you're Satan, get behind me, because you're trying to get me to do things that I'm not trying to do right now. I'm ushering in a spiritual kingdom in the hearts and minds of humanity, and you're trying to get a physical kingdom right now here to overthrow the Roman Empire that's coming in and kind of opposing you guys and what you want to do. I think it's because Peter actually got it. Like after Jesus died, after Jesus resurrected, Peter and Jesus are even sitting there and, and Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Because Peter told everyone, I don't even know Jesus. I have nothing to do with him. He denied even knowing him. And now Peter is one of the, the primary people leading this movement of God. And his message was not revolution. It was Jesus. And I think, again, this, this points to the teachings of Jesus, even where Jesus taught this kingdom mentality. He'd, he'd regularly, regularly teach, and he even said, this is how you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, we want the kingdom of God here and now. But Jesus taught first the kingdom of God is primarily right now a heart and mind kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. It's spiritual reformation, not social reformation. And for us, if we're honest, like, we keep mixing that up in the church all the time. Like, you look back, even look back a couple hundred years ago, look back to the Crusades. Right? If you're unfamiliar with the Crusades, you can look up, you can find YouTube videos and articles, you can read all about them. But the Crusades, basically, if we had to boil it all down, it was the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope in particular saying, hey, Jerusalem's really valuable to us and our, our economics and kind of what we want to do. And it has all the, the, all the sacred things over there. We're going to go, we're going to raise up an army and go conquer Jerusalem because that's what Jesus would do. Some of you are new to church, and you're like, I didn't know Jesus did that. Jesus didn't do that, actually. The Pope did that. But they, they go in, y'all awake here today? Y'all have that turkey still? Okay, I hear like two of you. I don't know, the other campus, you guys are all awake over there, here in the room. I don't know about you guys. But here's the deal. So the Pope said, we're going to raise up an army and go over and conquer Jerusalem because that's the, the city of God, and we're going to get it back. And they raise an army, and the Pope literally would give what was called indulgences, where it was like quite literally a ticket to heaven. Or if you went on behalf of the Pope and you went and attacked infidels, which are natives to Jerusalem, you attacked Israel people in Jerusalem or Arab people, whatever, you'd go in and you would get a ticket to heaven saying you get to do whatever you want for the rest of your life and you can still get into heaven. Now, how good of a deal is that if you're a young knight? Like, for real, think about it for a little bit. Most of you, if you're not young anymore, you were young at some point. Like, think about it. If you're 23, 25, 30, whatever, and you get told, hey, if you go to war and do something you're already good at doing, you'll get a ticket to heaven. Actually, you'll also get all the spoils of that war to come back, and you can do anything and everything you want, and you have this paper from the church saying you get to heaven no matter what. And they tried through dominance and authority and political power to push their agenda on, which I don't think was the agenda of Jesus but if we're honest, we're not all that different even today. Like, like, like through political power moves that we try to play, right, like through things that we try to do. I know it's like family weekend. We're not supposed to talk about politics with the family, and I get that, and we're family here. I'm not going to go too deep into politics. But here's the thing you got to remember. Your most powerful thing is not the ability to vote. The most powerful thing you have to produce change is the to love and serve people. Because if we're simply going, hey, I'm going to vote the right person, and you should absolutely vote. I go out, I vote. It's a, a duty, it's a responsibility, it's a privilege of being a citizen of our country. You need to go out and vote and exercise your rights. But that's not your most powerful tool. Because what happens a lot of times is we try to end up making a point, and we don't make a difference. 
and we try to, to push and have political power or dominance and authority. We try to muscle our way to dominance. Say, hey, we're going to bring God's kingdom in here through power and strength in the way that we determine power and strength. But Jesus' kingdom is not the way that our kingdoms run. Jesus' kingdom is not a top-down hierarchical approach where I am leading and everyone follows. It's a bottom-up approach where if you want to be great, you become the least and you serve the most. If you want to be first, you end up being last. And this is the message that Jesus had. And this is how Jesus lived. And Peter got that. That's why his message was not revolution. His message was, there's a man named Jesus who came to promise and change everything that you could have, and you can have life and freedom in Jesus. And that's the same message we have as a church. And this is where in, in our church, we have to be a movement of God that is moving the way God moves, and not the way that, that we want to move. But this is the thing that's crazy, too. If you look through the early church, it was, it was a spiritual message that Peter would share, but then you'd always see massive social implications, like Peter shared this, and you keep reading through the book of Acts, you can see where Peter shared this message of Jesus. They say, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized. They repent, and they're baptized, and then they join into this community, and they just start selling their stuff and giving stuff to each other. They start meeting needs all around them, which this leads us right back to our point that we've talked about this whole series is generosity. And I would even say, like, really, really clearly, like, financial generosity I understand time is money, and you're going to give up your time, and that's I'm going to serve that way. That's absolutely incredible. But the, one of the things that Jesus talked about so much was money, because money has such a, a significant place in our lives. And for us, if we want to move the way God moves, we need to handle our finances the way God handles his finances, and we need to give the way God gives. Because even in the scripture, it talked about, Peter said, repent, which repentance just simply means turning. Like you're going one direction to repent is simply to turn around and go the other direction. And Jesus said, hey, when you turn, you get whatever you're turning towards. And when you turn towards God, you get God and you get his character and himself imprinted on your life. And because God is generous, then I can be generous. But it starts with a spiritual reformation, not a social reformation. It's not about you trying to give and trying to do and trying to meet all the needs around you. Because if you try to meet all the, the social, the physical needs, and you don't meet the spiritual needs, really you haven't done a great service to people in eternity. And if I could give this to you, this, this message in one sentence, what I hope one thing that you can remember from our talk today is that a, a movement of God, a true movement of God's people is a spiritual movement that always has social impact. It's a spiritual movement that always has social impact. Because guess what? Everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And it's crazy because I believe all truth is God's truth. So no matter where I find truth, it points back to God, and I can see this in God, even in other religions, which again can make people uncomfortable, can make me uncomfortable at times, but you look even to other religions, and they have aspects of truth. They don't have the truth of Jesus necessarily, but they have aspects of truth. And you can see this even where other religions go and give and do more than some Christian people do. You know, his Buddhist teacher said it this way, which I think is so true for us. is says that no true spiritual life is possible without a generous heart. So you think you're spiritual, you think you're doing things, how are you giving? How is your heart generous? Because if you look at the early church, the spiritual movement of God, they had profound impact in the social problems of their day, where they literally would go and rescue babies from trash piles. 
and they'd go into the sickest areas and they'd care for the sick and they had no motivation to do that. You ever think about that? You read through this book of Acts, you think about this. What motivates the early movement of God to do all this stuff? It, it, it's, it's love, but it's also understand you have everything you need in Jesus. And that Jesus is everything you need. And this is where they said, we don't need to have a physical inheritance on the earth. Do I think it's wise to have an inheritance? Absolutely, but I'm not so capped up, wrapped up in that that I don't remember I have an eternal inheritance with God. And here's the thing, again, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, none of this makes sense. Like, if we're honest about it, apart from Jesus... Nothing really makes sense in terms of what the early movement of God, the early church did. They saw that Jesus gave them everything, and because he gave them everything, they could sell everything and give it to people in need. And this is where you see the, the kingdom of God, this kingdom mentality, it's characterized by the people who have the most, giving the most to do the most good. It's if you have the most, you give the most to do the most good. And who has more than Jesus? Who gave more than Jesus? Nobody. And no one can outgive Jesus. So even as much as I give, as many toys as I buy for the birth of two-year-old, don't forget you need to do that, right? As many toys as I buy and bring in, it's not changing my relationship with Jesus at all in terms of how he looks at me. But as I act out my faith, honestly, it will change how I look at Jesus. And as I give, and as money loosens its grip around my soul, I'll be able to see I am spiritually healthier, and I'm able to give and able to do things in an incredible way. And here's the thing again. Peter understood the kingdom of God is a mind and heart kingdom first. One day it will be a physical kingdom where Jesus comes back physically on a horse with a sword and he's going to restore all humanity to himself. You can read through the scriptures. You'll see this promise is so true. And I believe that promise is true because Jesus promised that he rose from the dead. And if he did that, then everything else is going to happen. But here today, right now, it's a spiritual kingdom. And people in Jesus' kingdom act like Jesus. And they give. And they care. And they serve because they understand it's better to give and serve than to receive. And this is the thing that's so crazy. When Peter shared this message with the people, talking all about Jesus, talking all about you crucified Jesus and Jesus coming back from the life and he's a promise when he's the Messiah. When he shared all this, the people's response was so simple. And this is the power of God showing up through the messenger and the sacrifice of Peter. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the what church? They were cut where? The cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And the thing that, that's so crazy is, is Peter didn't give them a laundry list of stuff to do. Peter didn't tell them, like, okay, you gotta get in the synagogue and the temple, you gotta memorize all these passages of scripture, you gotta read this, you gotta do it, you gotta get in a community group, you gotta serve with kids, you gotta do it, like, you gotta do it. No, Peter gave them one thing turn to Jesus. Again, the, the word repent, like sometimes we get a bad taste in our mouth about repentance because I think repentance is, is handled in a, or has been handled in a bad way sometimes for some of us. But again, re- repentance is simply turning and turning and showing that what I am turning to, what I fo- focus my attention on is worthy of my attention. For, so for some of us, we've been walking in the wrong direction for so long, just like the, the early people around Jesus' time. They were walking in the wrong direction and they were focused on the wrong things because here's the thing that's crazy. The apostles waited for 40 days for the the gift to come. 
They waited for the day of Pentecost, which is powerful too because that showed that God is a multi-ethnic, multi-everything kind of movement, that it's for everybody. The reason they had to speak in all the different languages and tongues is because people were all in Jerusalem from all over the world at that time, and they could take the message back to their areas. But here's the thing that's crazy. They waited for 40 days. The religious leaders at the same time when Jesus came, they had been waiting for 400 years for God to move. So if you read through, again, like you, you read through your Bibles, which you should totally read your Bibles. Because people like me, we get it wrong. And if you're relying for everything that Isaiah to be true and right, you're, you're going to be disappointed at times. Read your Bibles. You see, there was prophet after prophet, spokesperson of God coming and coming and coming. And then finally it stopped. And there was silence for 400 years. They stood around waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the promise to come, waiting for the power to come. But they thought it was going to be a physical, dominant kingdom to come in. And they were mistaken. Because they didn't see what they thought they should, they missed the boat entirely on this. Because they thought Jesus was going to come and the Messiah would come in and would affirm all of their authority. He would come in and he would affirm the place they had in society. He would affirm everything they're doing. And they would just get a little bump in society and in status and they'd have some power. And these, these people overseeing us, they would no longer overseas. And we we're going to have this revolution come and start. And they didn't understand it was a spiritual reformation, not a social reformation. Because spiritual is much more powerful. Because of that, they missed it. And if we're honest, I think there's some of us, even through this generosity campaign, even as we're talking about giving, you're absolutely ready to give, you're willing to give, but you have never turned. You've never turned away from the things you're chasing after and turned towards God to run after God. Yeah, you've given money, you've served, you've done stuff in church for years, but your heart is about making your kingdom better, not submitting to God's kingdom simple question as we close out this series is whose kingdom is your heart focused on building? So again, if, if my kingdom is more important to me and I'm walking towards my kingdom, I'm going to use and try to leverage and, I, and use anything from God's teaching, Jesus' teaching. Like, that sounds good. That will make my life better. Jesus doesn't want to make your life better. He wants to let you to lay down your life so you can take up his life. Because his life is profoundly better. So for all of us, I hope you'd give. I hope that you'd serve. I hope you would do so much, but it's so much more than just giving money and serving people and doing stuff. It is a heart change that happens. It is something that God does in all of us, embracing Jesus' primary teaching. You love God, you love people. You love God, you love people. And then when you meet people who don't know God, you tell them about the love of God, God's love that he has for them, and then you help them respond to that and to help them to love God and love people. And this is the thing that's crazy. We can study our Bibles all day long, and Scripture is so important. But did you know the early church did not have the Scriptures? But they had the Old Testament, and it was in the synagogues and the temples, and they didn't really even have access to it all that much. They didn't have so much of the teaching of the New Testament. But they were able to literally flip cities upside down and cause riots in the streets because they had insane generosity because they got this one thing right. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day what we need and help us to give freely to those who don't deserve it because we didn't deserve you to give so much to us. I think if we want to be a move of God in our community, you want that. We have to move the way God moves. Next week, we're going to raise $30,000. I have no doubt in my mind we're going to raise $30,000. Like we will do that as a church because we are a generous church. And we are planning and we are ready. 
But don't give money thinking it will make your kingdom better. Give money because it's bringing God's kingdom to earth. Would you all stand with me as we close in prayer all over the place, no matter what campus you're at. If you're online, we're going to pray. Because I know there are people here, you are realizing, even for the first time maybe, that you are trying to make your kingdom better, and instead you want to have the better kingdom, which is God's kingdom. So out of respect for people around you, would you just bow your heads as we pray? God, thank you so much. God, thank you for coming and giving. God, for showing us what generosity is. God, for showing us what love is. God, I pray that we would be a people who are marked by generosity. God, we'd be people who are walking towards you. God, I know all over the house, God, even online, either campus, wherever you're at, there are people here who are recognizing God, some for the first time, some, this has been a a repetitive thing for them, that they need to turn and trust you and that they need to repent, which simply means turning away from the thing they're walking towards and turn and walk towards you. And all over the house, no matter where you're at, if you'd say, I need to turn and trust Jesus, would you lift your hands right now? Because I want to pray for you. And this could be your first time. You can put your hand. I see over here. I see you in the front, over there in the back. Like you can put your hand up. You can put it back down. Because I want to pray because this is the moment where you get to choose to be all about God's kingdom. And you don't have to be about your kingdom because your kingdom is so small. I know it feels so big, but it's so small. God, we ask that you give us wisdom. God, and we ask that you give us power that we'd be able to build your kingdom here. God, right here in Valrico, in Brandon, in Tampa, as it is in heaven, God, that you would use us to give crazy amounts of money. God, that we would flip this city upside down because of the love we have for you and for the people around us. God, that we would share your message of social, uh, of spiritual restoration found in Jesus and that that would have incredible impacts on our community. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.